If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, or pull it up, or whatever you got to do. We're going to spend some time in uh, those 14 to 30 verses there. Well, there is something that every child has said since the beginning of time. Every kid says this more than once. You said this for sure when you were younger. Here it is. But that's not fair, to which every parent, every grandparent in all cultures, in all of human history has looked back at that kid and said, life's not fair. Yeah, I see you're familiar with this. But come on, let's be honest. The truth is, most of the time, I am only concerned about fairness when my piece of the pie is not the biggest piece. Uh, when I get the bigger piece, it's kind of funny. I couldn't care less about fairness. In that case, it is, dear God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy in my life. Hashtag so blessed. Um, <laughs> notice, <laughs> when you get the job, when, it, when you get the job, notice how you don't say, you know what? Life is so unfair. Because there were three other candidates really nice, highly qualified people. They didn't get the job. I did, and it's just not right. No. Again, I'm only concerned about a lack of fairness when I'm the one on the short end of the stick. Now, as we get older, we, of course, learn to stop complaining about this. Life isn't fair because it doesn't really do any good on the one hand or for one thing. We develop critical thinking skills, a more complex understanding of the, the world, and so we don't complain about it as much out loud, at least. We all know firsthand that life isn't fair. It, it's actually not so much that it's not fair, it's that it's not even. Life is not even, is it? You look around and some people seem to have these incredible gifts and talents and abilities, and sometimes we get a little bit jealous. I really wish I could sing, like when you hear people with like an amazing voice, it's like, why couldn't I have had that? And it doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm sure I could tr train or lessons or whatever and improve, but there is a ceiling I will never get past because I just, I don't have it. Other people, it seems like they just got in, you know, at the right time. They had an opportunity right in front of them and the stars aligned and they went for it and it's like, why couldn't I have thought of that? It's so simple. Others, you know, it's like they were born into the right families, or they went to the right schools, or they're well-connected, or they had opportunities open to them where you and I perhaps are still knocking on the door and waiting. Others have this incredible capacity to get people. They have really great social skills or charismatic personalities. Others are natural-born leaders. They don't even have to try, and people are like, you want me to jump off a cliff? I'm in. Then there are the rest of us who maybe haven't had the opportunities that others have had. I mean, we have some things that we're decent at, for sure, but nothing that, like, sets us apart from the rest. And we work really hard. We just don't see the results always that we'd hoped. We have areas where we're kind of awkward or uncomfortable or the things that don't come naturally to us. Or we have limitations or personal struggles that another person might not have. And so we wonder, why can't I be more like that person? Because it, it seems so easy for them. And so, no, again, 
Life is not even. Gifts and opportunities and abilities don't seem to be evenly distributed, do they? Someone can spend their whole life, for example, teaching at-risk youth and like changing kids' lives or whatever your noble cause is, and yet barely make ends meet. Someone else comes along and because they invent the paperclip or they just so happen to be beautiful or they can throw a ball really well and they're set for life. Life is not fair. It's definitely not even. Jesus tells a really fascinating parable about this um, in the Gospels, about this very thing. One of the themes in this is the unfairness, the unevenness of life and God's perspective on that and how God views your life in the economy of the kingdom of God. It's called traditionally the parable of the talents. The problem with that is we think talent and we think, I can sing, I can dance, I can paint, or I'm really good at making money. Um, and what complicates it is the fact that our English word talent comes from the Greek word in this parable, talenton. So that's where we get our word talent. Um, what I'm trying to say is without Jesus, we would not have America's Got Talent. So <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, but, and this is important, a talent in the New Testament, it wasn't those things. It was simply a weight measurement. That's it, pound, kilo, ounces, talents. Um, and so to clarify the confusion there, the NIV, if you have that, it titles this parable, the parable of the bags of gold, also the parable of the talents. So we'll pick this up in verse 14. Jesus says, again, by the way, this parable is in the context of a whole series of parables. And so he says again, as in, here we go again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So we find this master has split up his entire fortune, all of his wealth among three servants, apparently expecting them to do what he would do if he was around, how he would manage his wealth. Look at verse 15. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So again, he gives the first guy five bags of gold, or you might read, he gives him five talents, a weight measurement. A talent of gold in the first century uh, basically was, it was like 50 or 60 pounds, and it was the equivalent of 20 years of the average day laborer's salary. 20 years. And so the guy who gets one bag is holding essentially 500,000, half a million dollars. The guy who has five bags, he's got two and a half million dollars roughly in his possession. Now, this is a parable, so we don't have to worry too much about the details. And perhaps it's exaggerated or whatever to make a point. Um, the guy with five bags has a lot of money. The guy with one bag also has a pretty good amount of money as well. Um, it would take him 20 years of work to, to accumulate that much. <clears throat> Apparently, they don't all have the same, is how the parable starts. Because they don't have the same ability, Jesus says, according to the ability to manage or to invest money, and, and that's all Jesus really says about that. The point is that the bags 
are not evenly distributed. To which we might be tempted to say, hey, Jesus, that's not fair. Well, what's not fair? It's not fair that they didn't get the same amount. But let me ask you, is it fair for the master to be able to do what he wants to do with his money? Yeah, because everything is fair to someone is kind of the point. Um, And if that really bothers you, um, you can relax. Jesus is probably going hey, it's okay. This didn't actually happen. This is a parable. In fact, I'm making all this up. So we're, we're good. Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold, gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the guy with five, with the two and a half million dollars, he doesn't waste any time at all putting the money to work. He trades the wealth in exchange for things of accumulating value. In the process, he gains five more bags. The man with two bags also invests them and gets two more. What that means is that both of these first two guys realize a 100% gain on their investment. How would you like that call? from your financial planner. Now, one of the tricks with this story is we read this as Americans, most of us here, and so it's very easy to read our economy or our world and culture into this, and so you kind of come to the conclusion, well, obviously Jesus is a capitalist. Um, (laughs) It's funny, the, the last time I taught this story was actually about 15 years ago, and I'll never forget, um, I'm teaching it, and I found out after the fact that there were a couple of foreign exchange students visiting in the room that day from China, and so presumably their first time in, a, in like an American church or maybe a, a church like, you know, this, and, um, you know, they're new to American culture and American values, and so they're processing. They've come here with assumptions. They're taking it all in and all of that, and after the service, this parable, um, the person who invited them asked them, hey, what'd you think of the service? And they were like, we thought it was a really interesting sermon on capitalism. Just doing what I can, folks, to spread the good news, okay? <laughs> anyway, that, that left a scar, and that's probably why I haven't talked about this for 15 years. But, and I can actually see why they thought that. If you come with those assumptions and you read this, But this is first and foremost a story about faithfulness, about stewardship, about the invitation from God to each one of us, to you, to me, to participate in his work in the world. So that's the first two guys. Now, the guy who had one bag decides to take a bit of a different approach. And he digs a hole and he puts the money in the ground. And we're going to actually find out in just a minute his thoughts, because he tells us what he was thinking with this decision. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. After a long time, okay, can't emphasize that enough. He's gone so long, in fact, they're starting to wonder if he'll ever even bother returning. The master returns and settles accounts with them. 
meaning he didn't expect them to come to him when he returned and for them to say, Master, here's your stuff. We guarded it, we kept it safe, and we're glad we don't have to look after that anymore. No, the master wanted to see what they would do with his resources. He wanted them to invest his money, his resources, like he would do if he were them, or if he, like they would do. You get it. He wanted to see what kind of return they got on his money. One of the things that stands out to me is the fact that the master is putting an awful lot of faith and trust in these guys. This, this isn't like a micromanager at all. No, total trust, total empowerment, no rules, no handbook, just freedom. I'm going to honor your choice. I want to see what you do with my resources. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. At which point I think Jesus' audience is going, huh, hold up. Few? He had a lot of things. He had more than half of his master's wealth. What do you mean a few? So maybe there's some exaggeration or maybe Jesus is being humorous. Been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well done. Great work. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. And there's like a repetition here. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the guy with two, just like the first guy, doubles what he had. And again, well done. You've been faithful with a few things. At which point the first guy is going, hold up, time out. You said mine was a few things. And I had way more than him. Now you're saying he had just a few things? Like, what is up with that? I told you, life isn't fair. It's not even. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Dun, dun, dun. Right? There was a soundtrack. This is where the music, the tone changes. It's dark, ominous uh, music. So this guy, with one bag, walks in, sweating, out of breath. He's covered in dirt and mud because he just got done digging in the backyard. I want you to watch what he says next. And although we can't hear his voice, if you listen carefully, I think this is actually a pretty good example of like first century whining. Because what he does is he very subtly blames the master as he explains his actions. Look what he says. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. I knew you're, you're tough to deal with. You're a, a tough business guy. Um, you drive a hard bargain. You are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I knew you were a no-holds-barred, anything go. You're intimidating. People don't mess with you. And so, and so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. See what he's saying? I was afraid. 
because of you. Well, I'll tell you what I did, but, but before that, I just need to say it's kind of your fault. Like, the reason I don't have more money than what you gave me is because of the way you are. You can imagine this is not going to go very well. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. The master does not let him off the hook. The word wicked here, by the way, could also be translated worthless, which is probably a better translation given that he, he pairs it with uh, lazy and also because of, of what comes next. But the master says, hold up, you didn't not do anything because of me. You did it because you're lazy. And now that I'm back, you want to blame me because of your own idleness. So, let me just make sure I'm getting this straight. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown. You knew ahead of time. You said it yourself. I gather where I have not scattered seed. And the guy's like, yeah, huh? exactly. That's, you get it. Well, then, he goes on. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, if you knew that I'm looking for any kind of return on my money, you should have at least put it on deposit in the bank so that I would get minimum interest on my money. So, tell you what, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And again, that doesn't really seem fair. The guy who has lots is given more. The one with only one bag loses even that. By the way, in this context, when he says whoever has, that must mean whoever has increased their talents. And whoever does not have means whoever failed to increase their talents or their gold. And then Jesus ends the parable with the master saying this. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is commonly used in the New Testament as a sign of deep frustration or even regret. Um, there's a scene in Acts where just before Stephen is about to be stoned as like the first Christian martyr, he preaches this really convicting sermon, and everyone listening, it says, gnashes their teeth just out of frustration with the words they were hearing. So this is like, this is the sound that you make as you're hurling your golf club, okay, out of frustration. Okay, there we go. The servant had this great opportunity. It was handed to him, but he sat on it. Instead, actually, he blamed the master. And so the master says, I want you to take the guy who was on the inner circle, and I want you to put him on the outside. And then Jesus goes on to the next parable, which I'm not allowed to do, right? I got to give you more than that, right? He got away with just letting it, uh, the tension, and didn't solve it. I love that about Jesus. We don't like that. Um, so what's... <laughs> I diverge. What's, uh, what's the point of all this? Well, here's one point. Everybody gets an uneven amount of opportunity. It's uneven. 
And everyone is held accountable for what we do with it. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to figure out how to leverage what we have uniquely been given to leverage that for the kingdom. This is a recurring theme theme in the the New Testament. Paul, later in the New Testament, says something very, very similar to Jesus. In Romans 12, 6, he says, we have different gifts, different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. And there are passages like this, or 1 Corinthians 12, or Ephesians 4, where he, he goes on and he lists examples of gifts. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Others have the gift of leadership. Some of you are really gifted to serve behind the scenes, whatever it is. And again, it's a not exhaustive list. I love how the message translates this. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Don't we all do this? We look to our left, we look to the right, and we notice what they have, someone else's success or accomplishment or how they look or whatever it is they have going for them. One of the things that happens is we end up determining how we feel about ourselves based on what we observe in someone else. Many of us do this all the time. We're not even aware of it. We have these constant mental lists, these tallies, these comparisons going in our heads all the time. Look what they've been given. I'd kill to have that, right? But she has, and and he was born with, and they do that effortlessly. I'm envious. I think it's very natural that, that most of us do this at times. We ask these questions. How am I doing? How am I measuring up? Am I doing okay? Am I as good as like that person? We evaluate where we are compared to the people around us. And the problem is, you know, there's two problems. One is we run into people who are, who we go, oh, I'm, I'm maybe kind of good, but I'm not that good. They're really talented. They're better, richer, smarter, prettier, whatever it is. And suddenly, I feel worse about myself. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, we have different gifts. We've been graced with different things, time, talent, treasure, opportunity. We don't all have the same resources. We don't all have the same amount of free time. On the one hand, we could protest that. That's not fair. That's not equal. Why can't I be more like that person? But that's not the point. The point is how we steward. The point is what we do with what we have been given. Peter, again, another New Testament writer, makes this very, very clear. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What that means is that every gift that you have, every opportunity, every capacity that you possess, it's a, it's a gift from God. And Jesus is saying the same thing. There are some people who seem to have five bags of opportunity. There are some who apparently have two bags of whatever it is. And then there are those who have only one. We all kind of fall somewhere on this spectrum into a category. We all know some five bag people. They know the right people. 
They were the first one in. They, they got there, you know, right place at the right time. They went to good schools. They married into the right family. They're smart and good looking. And it's ridiculous. And we hate them. We hate those people, right? Everything they do, like things come naturally, stuff falls in their laps. Everything they touch, it seems, turns to gold. But the five-bag people, if they're not really careful, the natural tendency is to take all of that for granted. Do you know what people do? And by people, I mean people like us. When we have extra stuff, we waste it. We take it for granted. It's, it's a human tendency. We all do this. Whenever you have extra of anything, we take it easy. We stop asking questions about why God has given us what we have. We actually begin living like, hey, life isn't fair, but I don't really care because look what I have. Uh, this guy, Scott Harrison, he grew up in a really strong Christian home. And by his own admission in his, in his teens and in his college years, um, he did everything he could to, like, run away from that. And he moved to Manhattan out of college. He actually began working in nightclubs and just starting at the bottom and working his way up. He made connections with the right people. You know, he's climbing the ladder. And he got to a place in his 20s where he was, he was a promoter for all these nightclubs. He was, you know, putting on events where there's $1,000 you know, vodka bottle service for these VIP, these, these rich bankers. So he's very successful, and he was building his own little empire. At one point on vacation in Mexico, again, by his own account, he's sitting on the beach with his friends, and he's got like a plate of cocaine, and he's partying, he's surrounded by women and servants and whatever he could ask for, and it just hits him. What am I doing with my life? Why am I wasting it? Long story short, uh, he comes back to his faith. And as a recommitted Christian, he birthed this idea that really changes his, his life. Uh, he founds an organization, founds an organization called Charity Water to help solve the global water crisis, the 1.1 billion people around the world who don't have access to clean water. And you actually hear about Charity Water every single week because we make a donation to them on behalf of all of our first-time guests. Since starting in 2006, they have raised over three-quarters of a billion, with a B, dollars. They've funded over 137,000 water projects, and they've given seven, over 17 million people, million people, uh, access to clean, safe drinking water. I think you could agree. Scott is a very talented, extremely well-connected, charismatic leader. Uh, years ago, for one of his birthdays, he decided to invite his friends, and instead of like bring gifts, it was going to be like a fundraiser for charity water. 700 people came. You, you guys didn't have 700 people at your last birthday party? Yes, that's the kind of person he is. He's someone in many ways who's been given in many ways five bags. And he kind of learned the hard way that if you're not really careful, the temptation for people with five bags is to sit back, to kind of settle in, to waste what they've been given by God. 
Then there are people with one bag. And these are folks who maybe come from a not so great home life. Or they went to not very good colleges because that's all they could afford. Or early on, there was a tough deal with a pregnancy or an addiction. Or they're just average at a whole bunch of stuff. These are people who say, you know, compared to other people, I don't have a lot going for me. I'm not one of those five-bag people over there. And so the temptation for someone with one bag is just to make excuses, to blame God or life or circumstances, to focus on everything they don't have and to miss what they actually are holding, what they have. And then there's most of us here. Uh, most of us here in this room have two bags, three bags, and we're kind of jealous of these five-bag people, and we look at them, and, and it's easy to make excuses like, well, yeah, if I had that opportunity, or if my dad, or, you know, if only I, I find it interesting that we're often um, envious of people with the five-bags. But you know what stories we love to tell in our culture? People with one who take whatever disadvantage they have and that, like, they don't make excuses and they, they leverage the best they can what they have and they don't listen to people tell them that, you know, you can't be successful or whatever else it is. Uh, one bag people are often people who've overcome huge challenges, physical challenges, financial challenges, people who defy the odds. These stories about people with one bag, in some ways, they kind of, they shame us a little bit. They kind of prod us. Um, they force us at some level to look at our excuses or perhaps our lack of courage. Gosh, look what they had and look what they went for. It kind of makes us evaluate our comfort with the status quo in our lives. My point is, our tendency is to look around at everyone else. We look at the five bag people and we go, oh, well, well, look at all they've been given. That's not fair. We look at the one bag people and we go, well, at least they have a cool, inspiring underdog story. I don't even have that. And again, most of us are somewhere in the middle. And we're to look at our two bags and to decide, how do I leverage what I have been given to its fullest? It's refusing to take it for granted. It's refusing to waste it. It's refusing to excuse ourselves because of what we don't have. Jesus is inviting you to live for something bigger than yourself. Because yourself, myself, is too small of a thing to live for. I think the challenge for those of us, me, with two bags, it's like, well, what can I do? with what I've been given. What can I do? It's easy for me to go, God, I know it, you know, it's not fair that that person over there and what about and, and couldn't you at least? So you're here today and you're 25 and you have an okay job. You don't have much extra money, but you have some time. What do you do with that? You're 45 and you have a family and you pay the bills and it's interesting, you have more money than you've ever had in your life, but you have less time. What are you gonna do with that? What will you do with what you've been given? Or you're here and you've managed to retire. 
you have what you need to take it easy to live a comfortable, if maybe not extravagant, uh, retirement. But you have some time. Again, what are you going to do with that? Probably the most important verse in this whole parable is verse 19, where Jesus says, after a long time, the master, and Jesus ultimately is referring to himself, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts. What this means is that you get to give an account for your life. You get to give an account. And it can be an awesome, rewarding moment, as depicted in the parable with the first two. Or it can be that moment at the end of your life where you make excuses because of something God did or to you or God did for someone else and not you. We have uneven opportunities. We have uneven amounts of free time. We have uneven amounts of extra. When Christ returns... To some people's great disappointment, the question is not going to be, did you get the date right? The question is going to be, what have you been doing? To whom something is given, something is required. Regardless of how great or small, something is required. And when we embrace that, by the way, the master in the, in the parable, totally empowered these guys, to make their own choices, totally trusted them to do what they saw best. When we embrace this picture of God actually in our corner, supporting us, cheering us on, empowering us, that's a really freeing thing. And you never know what God might do with that. Here's the beauty of the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom is not like our financial markets with the ups and downs and the unpredictability. The beauty of the kingdom is when I give and I don't see the results. When I invest and, or I serve and like nothing dramatic happens. The beauty of the kingdom is that nothing is wasted. That God takes all of that and he multiplies our efforts. If we're willing to leverage fully what we've been given. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I think one of the challenges, and, and maybe this is what I'm asking all of us to do, in a lot of ways we have to go to God and listen to what he says about us. He's the one who made us. He's the one who made you uniquely you. But what we do instead oftentimes is go to other people. And we look to our left and our right, and we go, am I okay? And does this work? And is this okay? And do I matter? We go to all these other people, places, dependent on what they have to say about us. We go to everyone except Jesus. Again, where else are you, are you going to discover who God made you to be other than God, the one who made, who made us? Um, let me try to illustrate this a different way. By the way, that does mean that you have to actually believe that God knew what he was doing when he made you, when he gave you certain gifts and abilities and capacities and not other things. You actually have to believe that God knew what he was doing and that he didn't 
mess up. He didn't forget something. To illustrate another way, um, I, I mentioned this a couple years ago, but music critics, um, of course, consider Beethoven to be one of the greatest musicians of all time. He changed the course of music history. Now, I knew growing up, I played the piano, and I knew that Beethoven went deaf later in life and that he very famously composed his fifth symphony, symphony with his like ear to the piano to feel the vibrations, dun, 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 and he felt it. Um, what I didn't know is that he actually wrote all of his best music after he went deaf. He went deaf in his 20s, and all of his best music was in the last decade of his life. And it's interesting, music historians will tell us that prior to losing his hearing, of course he was brilliant, he was a genius, people came to listen to him play, but they say, his music sounded like everyone else. It especially sounded like the music of his teacher, Joseph Haydn. But something happened when he tuned out the sound of the world. All these other voices. Arthur Brooks, in a great piece on Beethoven, wrote, It seems a mystery that Beethoven became more brilliant and original as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear his own and others' music. But maybe it isn't so surprising. As his hearing deteriorated, he was less influenced by the prevailing compositional fashions and more by the musical structures forming inside his own head. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. It's the question Who do we become? when we have the courage to fully be the person God made us to be, with our personality and our unique wirings and gifts and things we're not great at and things we should let other people do. I think this is a question that we come back to. It's not a one-time only. We ask this in different seasons. I want to invite Nathan and the band to come up as we, as we close. But my question to you is, what have you been given? I want you to think about your family, your work, your talents, the opportunities, the relationships you have. I want you to think about what extra you have in terms of gifts or capacity or resources. Is there anything you're sitting on? Is there anything that you're burying right now? Listen, the tragedy is not going to be that the tragedy is not that God's going to be mad at you for bearing what you have. The real tragedy is in the economy of the kingdom, whatever you invest gets disproportionate returns. Whatever you give, whatever you offer, wherever you serve is guaranteed to yield results. How are you using what you have to invest in the kingdom, to invest, to join God in his work? Um, God is not obviously not limited to working through the church. He works all over the place. But what we do know is the church is like the only place that's called the body of Christ. It's the only body of Christ that there is. How are you using what you've been given to invest in the kingdom? You heard us talk about um, volunteer opportunities today. Listen, when you help greet people, 
when you welcome them in the door and you're smiling and you're friendly, you are communicating, you're welcome here. We want you here. This is a safe place for you to explore and to take the next step in your journey with God. When you volunteer in the nursery or in Commonway Kids, when you do your part to make that a place where kids can't wait to come, in fact, they're like, you weren't even going to come to church, but your kids dragged you to church because they don't want to miss it. That's an investment. And God takes that and he does things that we can't even imagine. When you volunteer to help mentor youth and you become that place where like in those critical years where parents have less and less influence and you become like a voice other than mom or dad to help guide them, again, you're making an investment you can't even begin to imagine. When you give to support the work of this church, to the things that happen here, the things that happen way beyond here. You're contributing to something that lasts forever. Lives are being changed. The kingdom is advancing. I'll tell you, the real tragedy is doing nothing. The gnashing of teeth that will come, Jesus says. When it hits us at some point, it's going to be the frustration of understanding what we missed. What could have been but wasn't because we sat back. We didn't invest. We didn't fully leverage everything that we had. We played it safe. Will you take whatever you have in this season, not for all time, your extra? Think about in terms of finances. Think about it in terms of time, where you're serving, can I challenge you and encourage you just to do the work of asking, am I fully leveraging? And this is not like to the point where I'm exhausted. Jesus has a lot to say about that too, about the balance. Are we fully leveraging our lives for something bigger or is it just us? Would you stand with me? I want to pray and then we'll have our ushers come forward as well. I remembered. And we'll close with this song as we give our offering. But first, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I don't know where this lands for all of us. Um, I imagine there are folks here who don't like to admit it, but they're actually people with five bags. They've had more blessings, more breaks, more luck, whatever. And things just come to them. Lord, I pray this would be the, the end of their taking it for granted, that they could see this season as a unique opportunity they cannot afford to waste. And Lord, for the person here who feels like they have one bag, maybe they didn't get the education or there are personal challenges or don't have great people skills or whatever, I pray this would be the end of excuses, that it would be the beginning of, of looking in the mirror and seeing someone that you have created to do what only they can do. I pray that you give them the insight to move forward. And Lord, for all of us, somewhere in the middle, Help us to quit comparing and quit making excuses and blaming and simply accept that you, what you've given us and that we would be creative, that we would be committed to leveraging it for something bigger than ourselves. Help us to live in a way that honors you and brings glory to you. Please show us what to do with what we've heard and give us the courage to actually do it. In Jesus' name.